good morning. Thank you, Miss Elaine Choir, for that amazing time of worship. Not about you, but I love the lyrics. How he's faithful, he's worthy, he's worthy to be worshipped. So powerful. If you would, please pray with me as we pray for God's word. Father, we're getting ready to read your word, and we want to pray for our hearts to be receptive to what your word has to say. So, Father, give us clean hands and a pure heart. Clear away all distractions and help us hear hear clearly from your word today. So, Father, we thank you that you're working in and through our lives, individually and through this church as a church body. Continue to do what only you can do, and we will give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in James chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. In your bulletin, there's a little listening guide, which I'd encourage you to take out. We have about two weeks before we enter into December, which is Christmas, special Christmas series. So I'm going to have to cover a chapter in two weeks, which you know that usually takes me a lot longer. So you might have to listen a little more carefully as I'll be going a little bit faster. So today we're going to talk about whether we're rich or poor. And James is going to talk to a certain group of people and it's going to be quite interesting. So a little preview of chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, we're going to talk about how money talks. You ever heard the saying, money talks? And then verses 7 through 12, we're going to talk about faith walks. The faith walks. So money talks and faith walks. I was reading a story about John Wesley, a famous pastor and founder of the Methodist Church. He was getting ready to go preach and as many Methodist pastors did, they did it on horseback riding. And they went from congregation to congregation. So as he was heading to one of his um, stop-off points, a highway robber uh, yelled at him and said, Halt your money or your life. And, you know, John Wesley got down and basically he only had a few coins like the typical pastor. didn't have a lot of money on him. And the robber was like, I, I held up the wrong guy. This guy has no money. And uh, he searched his belongings, and all he found was books and a few coins, and really it was, it was a bad, he picked the wrong guy to, to hold up. And as he was getting ready to leave, uh, Wesley said, stop one second, I have something to give you. And the robber turned around like, this guy, you've got to be kidding me. And Wesley said, my friend, you may regret the sort of life in which you're currently engaged. If you ever do, I beseech you to remember this. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. And as Wesley got back on his horseback, he rode away. And in his heart, he prayed that God would fix that statement. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin into the robber's conscience. So that one day, maybe he would turn from his ways. Time had passed. Years later, Wesley was preaching on a Sunday night uh, at a Sunday night service. And a a gentleman came up that was dressed really nicely, and Wesley recognized this man as the robber. He had now become a businessman. And the robber grabbed Wesley's hand and started kissing his hand. And he said, to you, dear sir, I owe it all. Wesley responded softly, nay, nay, my friend, not to me, but to the precious blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from all sin. It was amazing that the, the robber had received Christ because of Wesley's statement. So today we're going to talk about true riches and whether we're really rich or poor. It may surprise you. So we're going to be in James chapter 5. We're going to read the scripture and then break it down, read verses 1 through 12. 
It says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just, and he does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and have seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. May God bless his word. So today we're going to talk about how money talks and faith walks. Let's hear you say, money talks and faith walks. So the first point I want to bring to you concerning money talking is you can be rich and poor at the same time. You can be rich and poor at the same time. Now, James addresses a group of people. He says, come now, you rich. Now, the question is, who is he talking about? Who are the rich that James is going off on? Well, Chuck Swindoll helps us out. He gives us four categories of people. If you look on your listening guide, the first category are the physically poor and spiritually poor. These are the people that are in poverty physically and also they don't have a relationship with Jesus. So really, you could say they're really in rough shape. They don't have anything, any hope in this world. They don't have any hope in the world to come. The second category are the physically rich and the spiritually rich. These are people who have means, but they also have Jesus. And these are people who are generous and they give and they share, but yet they're also really blessed. The third category we have is the physically poor and the spiritually rich. These are many people in the Bible that didn't have homes, didn't have much clothing. Uh, They wandered from place to place. They didn't have material possessions, but they were spiritually rich. They were rich in Christ. And then we have a fourth group. That are the physically rich and spiritually poor. These are people that own the whole world and yet lose their own soul. Now, which of these four groups do you think James is talking to? Anybody want to take a guess? Category number four. So James is not going off on rich people in general. He's going off on rich people who are wealthy, but yet all they care about is themselves. They don't care about the things of God. They gain the whole world and yet lose their own soul. And before you say, well, I'm going to check out the sermon because I'm not rich. Let me read you some statistics here. Did you know that half the world, almost half the world live in poverty? 
more than three billion people live on less than two dollars and fifty cents a day. So when it comes to that standard, I think most of us would say we're pretty wealthy. One billion children live in poverty. And because of that, 22,000 children die every day because of poverty, needing food and water and etc. More than 750 million people lack adequate water or access to clean water. Think about that, 750 million people. Did you know that 80 million people live on less than $10 a day? That's 80% of the world live on less than $10 a day. So to bring it closer to home, if you make just $10 an hour and you work 40 hours a week, now get this, you are a part of the 11.1% richest people in the world if you make $10 an hour. So from that standpoint, I'm looking at some rich people in this room. So when, when we say, well, I'm, I'm not rich, well, con- concerning global standards, we are. So a little preview, James is going to talk to the rich people who are physically rich but spiritually poor. And Jesus said clearly it's easy for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Who was he talking about? He was talking about those who are physically rich and spiritually poor. So if you look at your listening guide, Mark eight thirty four through 36, Jesus called his people to himself with his disciples And he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now listen to this phrase, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit for the man if a man gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? We know that stuff just doesn't last that long. I was reading a story about a wealthy older gentleman who recently married this lovely younger wife. And by the way she was acting, he began to have his concerns that she had married him just for the money. So he asked her, tell me the truth. If I lost all of my money, would you still love me? So she, in her own way, tried to reassure him and said, oh, honey, don't be silly. I would still love you. I would just miss you terribly. (laughs) So we know that there are true riches and then there are worldly riches that don't really last. Number two, money talks. The lost rich, talking about category four, the lost rich end up poor and miserable. Look at verse three. It says your gold and silver are corroded. And we know that James is using a metaphor because gold and silver don't corrode. So he's using a figure of speech, basically saying that you think the things that will not corrode, that will not you know, lose their value, when you place your stock in material things, they will not last. And he says, they will be a witness against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. So we all hear stories from rags to riches. James gives us a riches to rags story. He's saying for the person that has great wealth, but doesn't take care of his or her soul, they don't care about the things of God, When they enter into the next life, they're going to have a rude awakening. You guys remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? The rich man fared sumptuously each day, had everything life could offer, but he didn't care about anyone else but who? About himself. And then when he died and went into eternity, what did he say? Send someone to go talk to my brother so they don't come to this place of torment. So James tells us that money is important. And what you do with money is important. 
So let me be clear, the Bible is not anti-rich or anti-wealth. The Bible is anti-using it for the wrong priorities. It's not what you have, it's what has you. And when we read through the whole Bible, God blesses people differently. When you read about Moses, when you read about especially Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Job, were, were these patriarchs poor or did they have a lot of means? They had a lot of means. But it's not what you have, it's what you do with what you have. So let's talk about money for a little bit. A few priorities about money. If we want to have a biblical understanding so we don't misunderstand James calling out just rich people in general, here's a few priorities. The first priority is this. God owns everything. Did you know that everything you have, even the next breath, it's a gift of God? You own nothing. You're a steward. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Principle number two, if you are a Christian... You are no longer living yourself for yourself, but for Christ and his kingdom. The scripture we read earlier tells us where to deny ourselves and take up our cross. So if you are a born again Christian, guess what? You're no longer living for yourself. You're living for Christ and you're living for his kingdom. So when it comes to money and wealth, your priorities change once you become a Christian. Number three, you are a steward of all gifts, talents and abilities that God has given you. And it's interesting, you read through Scripture, did you realize the reference is Luke 8, that even Jesus himself was supported by wealthy women that gave to his ministry? Uh, we read throughout history about many of you, how many of you love Chick-fil-A? Raise your hand. Chick-fil-A people. The Christian holy bird, right? Well, Truett Cathy, um, he's one that supports countless ministries. Um, some of you remember J.C. Penney, um, other, other names, J.L. Craft, S.S. Kreskaji, the founder of Kmart, so on and so forth, they've given millions and millions of dollars for the kingdom of God. So God can use things, but we're simply stewards. It's been said that the founder of Kmart, when he passed away, his, his pastor said this about him. He considered what he had as a trust from God and that he was a steward of all that God had given to him. We are just stewards. We're not owners. God owns everything. And number four, principle number four. One day you and I will have to give an account of the stewardship of our lives. Romans 14:12 Paul says, "So then each one of us will have to give an account of ourselves to God." It's been said that William Hurst, he was one day, back in the day, he was one of America's most wealthiest men, and he was an avid art collector. And William Hurst saw this piece of art that he just had to have his hands on. It was Really, really expensive, but he told his secretary, I've got to have that piece of art. So the secretary looked for it all around the world, couldn't find it. Come to find out, it was buried in one of his buildings. He had already owned it, but it was just stockpiled among all his treasures. I like what D.L. Moody once said. He said, Lord, let millions pass through my hands as long as none of it sticks. Isn't that good? Let millions pass through my hands, but help none of it stick. So it's not what you have, it's what you do with what you have. Number five, principle number five about money. God richly rewards those who are faithful with greater opportunities in his kingdom. I gave you a reference on your outline in Matthew 25 about the parable of the talents. How one man had five, one man had two, and one man had one. The guy who had one talent, what did he do? He just buried it, right? And the other guys doubled what they had. And when the master came back, he said, well done. Good and faithful servant, you were faithful in a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So here's the thing about money. 
if we've been rich and we've been richly blessed, which we said most of us are global standards, it's not what we have, it's what we do with what we have. Are we being good stewards? Are we using it to expand God's kingdom? So that way, one day when we stand before God, he can say, well done. You've used everything that was mine and you've used it to help the lives of others, not just to enrich yourself. Amen. Someone say money talks. Number three, money talks. So what does your money say about you? Look at verse four. Verse four is a startling verse. It says, indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of reach, the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Seboeth. So here's the picture. Money does talk. And God hears when we've robbed people or haven't paid them justly. And many of you can look back in your career where you felt like others didn't treat you fairly. And you realize that feels really bad, doesn't it? And the thing about it is I'm reminded, I was talking to my Sunday school class about it. I've heard from waitresses, and some of you may have been a waitress. I've heard that Christians are the worst tippers there are. Have anybody ever heard that? And isn't a tip a waitress's wage? So even as Christians, we we can say, well, I've never defrauded anybody, but have you held back what is someone else's? Ouch. So what, what the Bible tells us is, listen, life is not always fair, but God will eventually repay everybody. There's payday someday. And then when he says the cries have reached the ears of the Lord of Seboeth, it literally means the Lord of the heavenly armies. So our God will defend the defenseless. Our God will defend the widow and the orphan and the single mom and the person who's struggling that has been cheated and robbed. God will defend them. So James is telling them, listen, people may have treated you horribly, but know that there is a payday one day. And God will right every wrong. Amen. Number four, when it comes to your life, you have two simple choices. Live just for today. Or live today in light of eternity. Live just for today. Or live today in light of eternity. Verse 5, it says, You have lived on earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. So James gives the idea of this. We're talking about the lost rich person. Not the saved rich person. The lost rich person only cares about building bigger barns. Having more stuff. While everyone around them is struggling. And they live without Christ. They live without concern for their fellow neighbor. James says the imagery is, you ever seen a cow getting ready to go to market? What do they do to the cow that goes to the market? They fatten up the cow as big as the cow can get so they can get more money. So here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the solution. If the butcher is coming to town, do you want to be a big cow or a skinny cow? <laughs> Choose to be the skinny cow so the butcher will overlook you. And what does that mean? Well, basically it means that we are generous. We don't stockpile and hoard at the expense of our own soul. As Jesus said, what does it profit if you gain the whole world and yet you lose your own soul? So money, it's been said, will buy a bed, but it won't buy sleep. Money will buy books, but not brains. Money will buy food, but not appetite. Money will buy a house, but not a home. Money will buy medicine, but not health. Money will buy amusement, but not happiness. It will buy finery, but not beauty. It will buy a crucifix, but not a savior. There are certain things that money just cannot buy. 
So notice if James tells us uh, to watch out about against stockpiling and defrauding people, well, how should we use money? I'm glad you asked that question. I think biblically there's four ways that we can use money. And like I said, money is not a bad thing. It's the love of money. Having things is not bad. It's when you stockpile and hoard it and you don't share and you don't help those in need. So if you look on your listening guide, there's four proper uses of money, possessions, and wealth. Number one, to adequately provide for one's own family. It says in First Timothy that if you don't provide for your own, it says anyone who does not provide for their own relatives, especially for their own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Ouch. So it's saying that we have a responsibility to provide for a family. Number two, to further God's purposes on the earth, the gospel and the kingdom. So here's the thing. If God has given us great wealth, which I gave that statistic, if you make more than $10 an hour, you're considered among the 11% of the richest people in the world. What are we using that for? Is it just to have food and clothing? Or is it to help out the gospel, to spread the gospel, to get the gospel out? Number three, money is to be used to help out those who are poor and needy. If you look at James 127 that we read about five months ago in this series, it says pure and genuine religion in the sight of God means caring for orphans and widows in their, their distress. So there, there's, there's an obligation to help out the less fortunate. Are there widows and orphans in our society today? Absolutely. Are there single moms that have a hard time paying the rent and maybe there's a, a Christian brother or sister that can help them out? Absolutely. And finally, and I think this is a good order here, to enjoy the blessings that God has given to you. If God has blessed you with great resources, don't feel bad about it. Enjoy the blessing. Let me read to you 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. This is, this is Paul talking to Timothy about very wealthy people in his church. He says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. So he's saying, if you have a lot of money, don't be prideful about it. Nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, listen to this phrase, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And it says, let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So what what was Paul saying there? Listen, if you have money, enjoy the blessings, but... Don't be just rich in money, but be rich in good deeds. Give and share. So I think this this list helps us provide for your family, to further God's kingdom, to help the less fortunate, and then enjoy what God has blessed you with. Can I get uh uh-huh? All right, we've talked about money talks. Now we're going to talk about faith walks. Let me hear you say faith walks. Number one, be patient like the hardworking farmer. Okay, James has already addressed the rich lost people that um, were around him, that were just living it for this world. But then he addresses the others. He said, therefore, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rains. So when it talks about early and latter rains, it's talking about in Jerusalem before they had the, the irrigation system that they have today. Generally, even if you go to Israel today, I know Judge Martin just got back. If you go during the time of late October, early November, that's the early rain. And it can rain for up to six weeks. The latter rain was sometime around 
the end of March on into April. And it could last up to several weeks, up to six weeks. So you have the early and the latter rains. So what James is saying is that between the early rain, November-ish, and the latter rains, March, April, there's about a five-month waiting period. How many of you are good with the wait? Anybody here? Most of us want instantaneous results. We are a pop-top, Ziploc, microwave generation, drive-through-in-two-minutes type society, right? We don't want to wait five months. So James says, listen, even if life has not dealt you the best hand, trust God's sovereignty. Wait on him. He's going to come through. I read a story about a Scottish pastor who was fired because the previous year he only led one person to Christ. And I guess this church was highly evangelistic. They said, you only got one baptism, you're out of here. What they didn't realize that one person that that guy, the pastor led to Christ was Robert Moffat who became the famous missionary to South Africa in the 1800s. And he changed many, many lives for Christ. So you don't know when this person or this situation is going to turn around. Some of you may be just one minute away from God doing something amazing. As I like to say, you're on the precipice of a promise. You're just one minute away from your miracle. But are you patient like the farmer? Are you willing to wait God's timing? None of us are patient, right? Some of us may be. But majority of us want it today. And James says, listen, just be patient. God's going to come through in his time. Number two, live your life like Jesus could come back at any moment. Verse eight, it says, you also be patient. I love that in the original language. It means be long tempered. You ever met someone who was short tempered? Don't look at the person next to you. It says, don't be short tempered. Be long tempered. Have a long fuse. It says, establish your hearts. I love that in the original language. It means strengthen your heart. Have some emotional fortitude. Because how many of us, when we're going through hard times, we're an emotional basket case? We're all over the place. We're, we're, we're up and down like a roller coaster. Our mind is like a children's playground. I mean, it's all over the place. And James says, listen, be patient. Have emotional fortitude. Don't let your emotions go all over the place. Because lesson. Look at the next phrase, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. If you knew that Jesus could come back at any moment, his second coming, and this is one of the promises throughout the New Testament that Christ could come back in our lifetime, how would you live your life differently? Would you be all nervous about things or would you be busy about the Father's business? Would you be busy sharing your faith? Number three, one of my favorite points, get rid of your grumble or you are bound to stumble. Get rid of your grumble or you're bound to stumble. Look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another. How many grumblers do we have in the audience today? Don't raise your hand. You know, the thing about grumbling is it shows a sign of impatience. It shows a sign of, I want my needs first. And before you say that's not me, when's the last time you've been cut off in traffic and got upset? Grumble. All of us, right? So it says, behold, the judge is at the door. So the idea is, and some of you may not know the judge analogy, but imagine the judge is getting ready to go to the courtroom to give the verdict. Everyone's on anticipation and they're ready for the judge to make his debut. Some of you may not understand that analogy. So think about the school teacher. You guys remember in school where you took the test and the teacher would walk out of the hallway. When the teacher came back, it was time up and pencils down. And when the teacher comes back, it means the test is over. So he's saying, live your life in anticipation. The judge could come out at any moment and say, here's the verdict. 
the teacher could come out any moment and say the test is over. So taking inventory, and this is on your listening guide, if Jesus, if I, if I really believe Jesus was coming back soon, here's some questions to ask myself. Would I become more passionate or less passionate about the things of God if I knew Jesus was coming soon? Would I continue in a lifestyle of sin or would I chase after holiness within my everyday life? My parents uh, love them to death. They're in the back. They, they, they were really smart in teaching us this. If, if Jesus were to come back, would you be in this certain lifestyle? And I would apply it to my life. Would I be going to see this movie if Jesus would return? I mean, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. But would I want Jesus to come back when I'm engaged in this particular behavior? Ouch. Number three, would I become greedier or would I give sacrificially for the kingdom of God? If Jesus came back and I'd stockpiled all my materials and then all this could have been used to change lives. Hmm. Number four, would I be slack in my church involvement or would I show up to serve and be counted on? If I knew Jesus was coming back today, I don't think I would skip. I think I would show up and I'd be passionate. Number four, the blessing comes after the testing, so don't ever give up. Look at the person next to you say, don't ever give up. Don't ever, ever give up. Verse 10, it says, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. And it gives the example of Job. Now think about the prophets. If I remember correctly, I believe it was Isaiah who was cut, sawn in two. You, you saw Job, how he endured and he went through everything. Notice it doesn't say Job was patient, but he said he had perseverance. There's a difference. Job was kind of impatient with God. God, why are you doing this? But he, he hung in there. So even if you're not patient, which we're going to try to be, persevere. Keep going to the end. After the test comes the promotion. After the trial comes the treasure. After the cross comes the crown. After the breakdown comes the breakthrough. And after the setup, setback comes the setup. So don't give up. Don't let up. But keep going up. Amen. I want to read to you this um, special article. And the history of it, we're not sure who wrote it. But as we best can tell, this was found as a missionary from the 1980s, a young man from Rwanda, his tribe told him to renounce Christ or be martyred. And this letter was found among, I believe it was his diary, and it's called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. And uh, this just sends chills as I read it. Um, so this guy is found in his, his personal belongings once he was martyred. He says, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, worldly talking, cheap giving and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean into his presence, walk by patience, and uplifted by prayer, and I labor with power. My face, my face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way rough, my companions few, but my guide is reliable, my mission's clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, 
deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifices, hesitate in the presence of the enemy, ponder that pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till I'll know and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. Amen. And finally, number five, faith walks. Let your yes count and learn to say no nicely. Verse 12 says, Above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be and let your no be. James basically tells us, okay, we're living in view of eternity. So be patient, establish your hearts, but on a practical standpoint, you don't have to offer up swears for people to believe. You ever, when you were growing up, you would say something like, you hear people say, well, trust me, I swear on top of a stack of Bibles. And they're like, okay, I believe you now. And James is saying, you've got to live your life in such a way where people believe your word. Your word is your bond. You, you say what you mean and mean what you say. And by the way, when you say no, just a little hint, learn to say no nicely. Sometimes we have a problem saying no. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have a problem saying no to people? And James says, say yes to the things that God wants to say yes. And when God's not calling you to do something, learn to say no. And I add a little caveat, nicely. And that will keep your life on mission for God. So money, what? Talks and faith walks. Just a little review Today we talked about you can be rich and poor at the same time. The lost rich end up poor and miserable. Money talks. So what does your money say about you? John MacArthur once said, you can tell someone's spiritual maturity by looking at their checkbook and their bank account. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So whatever you spend your most money on, guess what? That's where your heart's at. Number four, when it comes to your life, you have two choices. Live today or live in view of the light of eternity. And the faith walk. Number one, be patient like the hardworking farmer. Good. Number two, live your life like Jesus could come back at any moment. Remember, the judge is standing at the door. Number three, get rid of your grumble or you're bound to stumble. And number four, the blessing comes after the testing. So don't ever, ever give up. And finally, let your yes count and learn to say no nicely. So the lunch question I want you guys to take to lunch with you is this. What is your talk and your walk saying about your faith? Does your talk and walk need to be synced up? Or is there a discrepancy about what you say you believe and how you're living it out? If you will, please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. I know James is a hard hitter. And each week I've heard people at the door saying, ouch, pastor. And I say, it's not me, it's James, it's the word of God. So, Lord, my prayer for each person, including myself, is that we will realize that we are far richer than we ever realize, all of us in this room. Even if we don't have a lot, by global standards, we are rich. And with much is given, much is to be required for all of us. So, Lord, help us not stockpile or hoard Help us to be generous.
Help us to help out those in need. Help us to use resources to expand the kingdom. And Father, concerning our faith walk, Lord, many of us struggle with patience. But help us remember the prophets and Job, that God is merciful. And Father, help us to live each day with the view that Jesus could come back at any moment. As we continue to pray with every head bowed, I want to talk to the believers. Would there be someone that would say, Timothy, I really want my faith walk and my faith talk to be together, to be synced. Pray for me that this Christmas holiday in the coming year, my faith will be deeper than ever before and more evident than before. Thank you. See, see that hand. You just want to lift your hands to the heavens. Father, you see the hands. Forgive us where we haven't been the best stewards of money and talents and resources. Help our faith walk and our faith talk to give you glory and to live in the light of your coming. As the believers continue to pray, there may be one here today that you've never invited Jesus into your life. Yeah, you may have gone to church, but going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a Happy Meal. If there's someone today that's never received Christ, right where you're sitting, it's really simple. If you will pray a prayer in your own words like this, just say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I realize that you died for my sins, that you were buried and you rose again just for the sins of the world and for me. So right now, I ask you to come into my life and I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I make you my Savior, my Lord, and my friend. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Father, thank you for your word. May we not be just informed, but may we be transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. This time, if you'll stand for the closing song. The prayer team will be at the front. Adam, Judy, myself. If you have any prayer needs, we'll meet you here at the front. And we will pray with you. So respond as the Lord leads.